If you're ready to learn about the four nutrition fundamentals that have helped over 100,000 people lose weight, then this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show is for you. Welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, where each week you will hear the real-world experiences, life lessons, and guided principles that every highly driven man needs to master, their health, productivity, and relationships by sharing conversations with the world's most successful people in fitness, nutrition, supplementation, and mindset. Meet your host, Benjamin Brown. He is a fitness and nutrition expert, consultant to Fortune 500 companies and world championship sports teams, a husband and father of three, and has been helping men transform their physiques, optimize their energy, and own their fatherly mission since 2005. Thank you for joining us today, and without further ado, let's jump right in. What's up, guys? Welcome back to this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. On the show today, we have Brian St. Pierre. He's the Director of Performance Nutrition at Precision Nutrition, which we're all familiar with by now, working with a host of fitness professionals and professional sports teams, including the San Antonio Spurs, Cleveland Browns, U.S. Open champion Sloan Stevens, and many, many more. Prior to his work at Precision Nutrition, Brian worked for three years at Cressy Sports Performance as a head sports nutritionist and as a strength and conditioning coach, working with hundreds of athletes and recreational exercisers of all types. He's the author of the High Performance Nutrition Handbook, the Show and Go Nutrition Guide, and Ultimate Hockey Nutrition. Brian is a registered dietitian with a master's degree in food science and human nutrition. He's also a certified sports nutritionist, as well as a certified strength and conditioning specialist. As part of the Precision Nutrition mission, he helps to deliver life-changing, research-driven nutrition coaching for everyone, which, as you know if you've listened to more than one episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, is what we are all about. So in this episode of the show, we break down the four nutrition fundamentals that any person interested in improving their health or accelerating weight loss should be interested in. And just breaking down those four fundamentals as they pertain to those of us with busy lifestyles, how they can be tweaked, why being pretty good all the time is better than being great sometimes, and the various nuances of each. So I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode. I certainly did catching up with Brian St. Pierre. Uh, Without further ado, let's jump in. Brian St. Pierre, how you doing, buddy? Thanks so much for coming on the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too, man. I've actually had you in mind for quite some time of coming on the show. Uh, I respect a lot about uh, what you've done with Precision Nutrition, what you're doing with professional sports teams. It's a lot of of stuff that's in line with my personal passions and practice. And so I'm just looking forward to the opportunity to chop it up with you. But uh, what's been going on as of late in your coaching world? Uh, There's always a lot going on right at PN. I mean, we coach... um, thousands of people a year. We certify lots of tens of thousands at this point of um, over 10,000 coaches a year in how to do nutrition coaching. So we always have a lot of um, pokers in the fire for lack of a better Mm -hmm. term. I mean, we're always working on our own coaching practice, right? I mean, one of the, one of my roles at PN is actually to be in charge of our coaching strategy in our own coaching practice. So we're always kind of playing with that. And we have fundamental things that we've seen over and over again, that, that matter, like your best practices that we always employ, but then we're always iterating, split testing things, seeing if this works, how that works, gathering data. So we've actually been increasing some of that, uh, which has been really fun. And I've been kind of heading up that project. It's been really exciting to track more 
even more specifically than we did in the past. So yeah. we can gather even more data on, okay, when we do this this way, what happens? Or if we coach someone that way, when we recommend it like this, we recommend this thing. Um, so it's been really cool to kind of see you know, how those things play out. Um, and do they always line up with intuition, right? Or commonly accepted wisdom versus like, what does the data actually show us? So that's been a really cool thing going on in, in my coaching world at PN for sure. I love the fact that you guys are so data driven. Um, you've got a nice balance between, in my experience with the precision nutrition, which I've been following for probably 10 plus, maybe 12 years now mm-hmm. and gone through the coaching, you know, the precision nutrition coaching level one process. Um, and then of course, just following Dr. Berardi's work for quite some time. But with respect to the coaching process and the fact that, you know, you mentioned you guys are always trying to get better, uh, which I highly respect. Who do you guys turn to to learn from since it seems like you're always on the cutting edge and, and leading the field in terms of a research-based nutrition and coaching strategy? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are a lot of um, people in the field and just resources, right? I mean, we have, we're fortunate in that our team is composed of like a wide range of, of specialties, right? Like you have myself, who's um, a former strength coach and a dietitian. You've got JB, who's got his PhD in like exercise and nutrition physiology. Um, you've yeah. got, we've got someone like Krista Scott Dixon on staff, who's a certified therapist and has a lot of experience in the like um, behavioral change psychology. We have Helen Kalias, who's like super PhD scientist, right? Like worked at Johns Hopkins doing research. And we've had Ryan Andrews, who was yeah. a dietitian like me, but also a vegan and a plant-based eater. So we have all these various perspectives, and we're all always keeping on top of our various areas of expertise through research or through people, other people in the field that we follow. But I think that what helps is we're not just bringing that one narrow perspective, right? We each bring a component and then we kind of tie it together, like you said, where we're being data-driven, but we also look at the art of coaching, right? There's the, the science component and there's science in the art, right? The behavior change, the psychology stuff. But there's also just some things that science can't show or hasn't shown yet. And that's where the kind of art of coaching comes in. So I think you have to kind of marry those two things by having various perspectives and leaning on expertise of other people in the field. I mean, you see like in the strength and conditioning field, like Eric Cressy and Mike Boyle are always kind of pushing the limits in that regard amongst many others. And so there's lots of people, you know, in nutrition coaching and in in training and in change psychology and in business. We're always looking to all these different domains, even outside of fitness. Uh, who I think can give you ideas because a lot of their pra- best practices and principles can be translated into the fitness field as well, right? Like what makes you really good at bedside manner, what's, those skills are actually what help make you a really good coach, right? So there's things you can yes. learn from different fields um, that apply across many domains, including nutrition coaching. And then are you guys, you know, you're obviously observing a lot of the data that you're collecting through your coaching programs to, and interpreting that data to determine how effective is our current process. And, you know, I've noticed that you guys have changed your processes multiple times over, you know, the last several years, which is obviously in line with what you're learning along the way. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it's, it's, we change our processes through multiple mechanisms. Like one, there's often like emerging in or, or new research that suggests, hey, this thing we did this way, there's now seems to be a, a better version of that, a better way to do that, right? We started to incorporate uh, even more like motivational interviewing techniques in our coaching practice, or we started to incorporate being a little bit less prescriptive, like in some of our habits on purpose, because we found 
Like one research showed that that works better, but then two, when we actually tested some of those things, we found a better response from people on it. So there's one, I mean, there's the research evidence, but two, we'll test some of those things in our coaching practice um, to see how it actually plays out in the real world, right? And with real people. Because sometimes what, what seems to be true in a controlled trial uh, becomes less true in real messy complicated mm-hmm. lives right the real world 100%. or it doesn't doesn't get applied the same way right or, or you're like oh we'll try and apply it this way and you're like oh, that's not that didn't really work um so we don't really make assumptions we look at the best available evidence by taking into account like our uh, the preferences and values of our clients we combine our own long time like combined experience i mean we've helped coach over a hundred thousand people at this point so we've we've seen a lot of things that work and don't work or what works better but then we're always kind of testing it, testing the things that we're seeing that are new or, or emerging. And then we play with it and see, okay, what yeah. really happens when we do this? Um, or no, I don't think that's going to work because we've seen X, Y, you know, Z. We might still test it, but we'll have conversations about it first. Maybe, maybe we'll wait to see if there's even more research to support it before we even consider testing it. So it's yeah. really um, an iterative process that takes into account a whole bunch of factors. But really, it takes into account the best available evidence that exists in the research literature, our own collective coaching experience um, from all of, all of our players, our own people leading the co- coaching, plus our people coaching day-to-day, you know, like actually face-to-face with all the clients, and then the preferences and values of, of our clients that we see over and over again. And if things are worth experimenting with, we test it, and then we see what comes out of it. We go from there. So throughout all the years of coaching and um all of the you know, 100,000 plus clients that you guys have worked with and obviously all of the different nutritional methodologies that are out there and all the different research that suggests one way might be better than another, you guys have come up with some nutritional fundamentals that you are, you know, are the, is the foundation of what you guys recommend through PN. And, and you know, similarly, I'm sure what you recommend with your athletes that you work with, which we'll get into in just a little bit, but Maybe we could talk first just about what those nutritional fundamentals are and then dive in a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's always important to keep in mind the fundamentals because I think it's, especially in today's world where people are trying to present you with like new, compelling, sexy things to try, right. um, they have to try and think way outside the box to entice people, right? And sometimes that outside the box thinking is outside the box because it doesn't make any sense or doesn't, doesn't actually fit everything else we know. <laughs> about uh, human nutrition and, and behavior change. So there are some fundamental best practices for a reason, because they've been shown over and over and over um, to be successful. And so there are, are, are four like, big questions we kind of look at, and then we kind of answer them in different ways. Like, so one of the first things we, we talk, we work on with clients with is like how you're eating, like how and why are two of the big ones. Are you eating because you're physically hungry, or you're eating because you're yeah. bored, or you're stressed, or there's a social environment that encourages eating. Uh, There can be a whole host of reasons why we eat that aren't just to satisfy hunger, right? So we're looking at that. We explore that with clients to help them really tune into those signals that they, for the most part, eat only when they're hungry, but they'll choose to eat at other times, but consciously so, rather than just unknowingly, right? And then we work on the how you're eating. Are you eating it slowly and mindfully Right, with generally minimal distraction. I mean, it's hard to eat distraction-free today. Right? We're not, not all eating on a beach, watching the sunset on our own private island where there are no distractions, but you do your best um, 
to minimize them so that you can actually focus on the meal in front of you or the people you're having the meal with. So we've, those are two big ones right there. And they sound, oftentimes, I think people find they sound kind of like foo-foo or not hard and tangible enough, right? This isn't talking about macros and human physiology, but fundamentally, humans have been eating for a long time without knowing anything about calories or macronutrients. And we don't eat nutrients. We eat food. We eat meals with other people. So ignoring the how and the why actually ends up become making things really challenging. And it's why one of the reasons why we often see people bounce from approach to approach to approach, because they're only attacking the what. They're not attacking the how and the why. So those are the two big ones we start with first. Then we get into like the what and how much. Mm. So when we talk about the how much, we teach, um, and the what, we teach them together. We, we teach people to use portions or gauge portion sizes with their hands, right? So we do this for a couple of reasons. One, your hands are portable. They go with you wherever you go. So you go to a conference, you're traveling, you go to mom's house for Thanksgiving. It doesn't matter. You can, you're, you're at home. You can plate your food using your hand to guide you. Two, they're generally scaled to the individual, right? The bigger the person, the bigger their hands tend to be, the more food they tend to need, so the bigger portions they tend to get. And vice versa, the smaller the person, the smaller their hands tend to be, the smaller the portions that gives them, but the less food they tend to need. So it's generally scaled. And third, it kind of does that calorie and macronutrient math for you, right? We've chosen hand size representations that'll give you appropriate macronutrient levels and then suggest certain amounts to give you appropriate calorie intakes. So it's kind of doing that macro math for you without you having to bust out an app and a spreadsheet just to eat lunch, right? Now, don't get me wrong. Some people love doing math and love doing math to eat. And if that's you and that's your thing and you can do it sanely and sustainably, by all means, right? I was an engineering major for three years. I love math. I could do math sure. to eat, but I recognize and we recognize that that's not most people. But again, these are, none of these are like hard and fast rules. Um, right. But we teach the hands, so we find it's most effective for most people, but it's not the only tool. So we teach those hand size portions. We teach palms for protein, so your thickness and diameter of your palm, fists for vegetables, cupped handfuls for carbohydrates, so that'd be like starches or fruits, and right. thumbs for fats. And so we generally teach about six to eight portions of everything of each of those for men, and four to six of each for women as general like starting points. It's a framework to start from. And then you would adjust them up or down dependent upon your goals. Like if you want to gain muscle, you're adjusting up. You want to lose body fat, you're adjusting down. If you're really highly active, you're adjusting up, right? If you're pretty sedentary, you're adjusting down. Those are made for like moderately active individuals looking to maintain their body weight as a general like or improve their health. So your goal, if your goal dictates up or down, you adjust up or down. If your activity level dictates up or down, you adjust up or down. And then you also just adjust based on personal preferences and um, things of that nature. So really, we're teaching the how and the why first and the what and the how much, right? And the majority of the what should be mostly minimally processed whole foods. What I mean by that would be like relatively lean proteins, like your poultry, your red meat, some eggs, some like Greek yogurt or cottage cheese, right? Or some plant-based proteins like beans, lentils, that kind of thing. Um, for, for vegetables, I mean, that should be pretty self-evident, right? Anything you would consider a vegetable, have at it, right? We often teach people to, to eat the rainbow. So it gets just to get a variety of colors of vegetables because different colors signify different, uh, phytonutrients. They have different health benefits. So there's like green, uh, red, orange, yellow are kind of one category, purple, blue, and white. 
So trying to get like a mix of different colors, um, but that's like a, you know, you can work up to that. If you're currently eating one fist of vegetables a day, right? We'll start with two and then three. Sure. We're not going from one to four to six or six to eight out of the gate. So we kind of ex slowly expand upon that. Yeah, and so then for carbs, I mean, you're looking at, again, those minimally processed sources. So your potatoes and sweet potatoes, beans and legumes, fruits, whole grains, things like that. Fats, we're talking nuts and seeds, nut butters, avocados, olive oil, that kind yeah. of jazz. And so those are like the, the key um, fundamental things we're working on. So the how and the why, being more aware of your intake, making conscious choices, even if you're conscien consciously choosing to indulge. That's actually a good thing. It's okay to indulge. You, you don't need perfection, right? We usually teach people to aim for like 80 to 90% consistency, depending on your goal. Because um, in our experience, we've found with, you know, about 100,000 clients, that helps yeah. people reach their goal like consistently, insanely, but not fluctuate from that all or nothing. I'm either 100% on or I'm not on at all, right? We find that doesn't typically work for most people. So that 80 to 90% makes you reach, you, you progress just as fast as hitting 100%, or you can progress more consistently than trying to hit that 100%, and then when you don't, you fall off. So those are like the key fundamentals we really have people start on, and then we kind of expand from there. Honestly, man, it just sounds too simple that way. <laughs> I mean, it's just not radical enough for me. Um, in all seriousness, I mean, we've talked a lot about habits on the show. So I think our listeners have a pretty good idea. And, and obviously with the nutrition in terms of how much you're eating, that's important. We know calories matter. Um, we know the types of foods that we eat matter uh, next to how much calories we're taking in. Um, but I'm glad that you brought up why we're eating and how we're eating because those are things that we can get lost with. Uh, there's a lot of obviously emotional uh, components that come with eating and why we eat and how we eat to comfort ourselves. But I'll just give you a quick example that uh, clicked with me in terms of how we're eating. As you and I were speaking uh, before we started the call, we both have young kids. And I was expressing how my son, who's three years old, he's he has a lot of energy. <laughs> and, um, and so it's become very difficult to, one, just go out to eat, like in general, just to have him at a restaurant. Like he's nuts. He's all over the place. He'll yell or he'll be standing up on the seats or just getting up and he just can't sit still. And so what I found was happening with both my wife and myself is we kept putting ourselves in these situations which meant that invariably one or both of us would have to literally inhale our food so that we could get him out of there, yep. you know, or it would just be automatic, like sit down, order, just inhale your food and get out of there or sit down, order, and then realize, okay, this is going to be a doggy bag meal. <laughs> just pack it up. Let's go. Right. But what I noticed happening, which I see happen with a lot of people is I would eat so fast to get it down so that I could give him the attention he was re apparently requiring. And that was carrying over into all of my meals at home or, or at work to the degree that it had gone a couple of weeks and I was realizing how fast I was eating. It had become a habit for me, whereas I've been through the precision nutrition habits. I tend to mindfully eat. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when, when, uh, things happen like that, it's easy to start to change those habits uh, to the degree that I realized I was inhaling my food 
and trying to set up my day so that I could purposefully create more mindful eating strategies. And, and those things are, are present with all of us every single day. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's actually funny you tell that story because we, we just went out to dinner with my three kids last night. And um, we hadn't gone out in a while because I have a two and a half year old son who's much like your three year old. And we remembered why last night yes. we don't go to dinner much last night, right? Because it, that's exactly what happens. One of you has to eat fast. And, um, now, if that happens once in a while, it's not a big deal. But if it, like you pointed out, if it starts to become a habit, like that becomes a problem for a whole host of reasons. When you're eating really fast, you actually, it doesn't give your brain your body time to recognize like how much you've actually consumed because um, it actually takes time for those messages to get sent to your brain and your brain to go oh, okay we're getting in enough calories starts it starts to start the machinery of let's decrease hunger make you feel satisfied stop your eating when you eat yeah. super fast you're you're basically superseding those signals right you're, you can consume more calories than you need in a short period of time it doesn't give your body time to recognize there's excess calories coming in to tell you to put on the brakes Right, mm -hmm. so when it, it's when it becomes a habit that it becomes a problem. Um, if it happens once in a while, right, not a huge deal, and you you totally. catch yourself and go like, "Whoa, right, I gotta I gotta change this." Um, but if you're not even aware of it happening, that's where it can become an issue, right? Yeah, yeah, and and I really like the components because I utilize this in my coaching practice as well of the the palm, the you know cupped hand, the fist, the thumb. I think those are really useful strategies to create more awareness around how much we're consuming in a given day. You know, and what we realize over time is that the more people track in whatever capacity, even if it is just using their, their palm and, and fist, or if it's using a MyFitnessPal app, again, is you're creating more awareness to the degree that all of a sudden you start to know and intuitively choose the things that fit within your specific even if you have specific macronutrients or your specific needs or however it is that your diet is laid out to the degree that it, you don't have to really worry about weighing or measuring or punching into my fitness pal. It, it becomes intuitive to a degree. And so I, I appreciate that component of the, uh, you know, the PN strategies of the fundamental nutrition strategies. Um, let me ask, so how do you carry over from the general population guidelines that you utilize with precision nutrition, how does that carry over into the professional sports arena? Because I know you work with some professional teams. Mm -hmm. Could you uh, talk to us a little bit about you know, what that looks like? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, this often surprises people when I like, talk to my friends about it or I, I talk, on, on, talk to other fitness professionals. When you work with high-level athletes, Oftentimes, you're working on a lot of the same fundamental practices that, you, that we work on in our, like our general population coaching practice. Oftentimes, they've been the best athlete on their team, in their sport, without having to do lots of other things, right? They've always been the most gifted. And so they were able to, to I don't want to say skate by, but able to be the best without having to do all those other layers. Now, that's not always the case, right? Sometimes you get like the Tom Brady's of the world who weren't the most naturally gifted athletes and have had to try to do all these other things to help themselves get to the top. But oftentimes when you go and work with a professional team, you're working with guys who have never had to focus on their nutrition. They've always been really good. They've always recovered well because they were young. Um, now all of a sudden they're 25, they're 26, they're 27. They've played a couple of years of professional ball and it's like, wow, I don't recover as well. This is more intense, right? It takes more out of me. 
um, so they start to recognize that. We'll, we'll hammer a lot of those fundamentals first. Um, then generally, because they're so used to getting coaching and they're so used to like doing what's asked of them, they pick them up very quickly. Um, mm -hmm. and then we'll get into some higher level things. Right? We'll play with workout nutrition timing because they're yes. training so much. You know, we'll modify things based on their activity type. Hey, this guy's a lineman versus like a, a wide receiver. Very different kind of output or different sports even, right? This guy's, a, NA, this guy's a hockey goalie versus a defenseman who's playing 30 minutes a game versus right. a fourth liner playing seven minutes a game, right? We'll adjust things based on that. Total intake, maybe even intake type a little bit. But yeah, I mean, for the, honestly, for the most part, <laughs> you do a lot of the same things. You may frame it a little bit of a different way, but oftentimes they still need to work and master on those fundamentals, like protein. I don't even know. Like, what are my proteins? Yeah. Are you hydrating? Like, yeah, oftentimes they're, get, they're hydrating because that's hammered into them at every level. Um, the importance of hydration for injury prevention. Um, but in terms of like true nutrition practices, a lot of those guys, you're still hammering on. Yeah, we get some lean proteins in. Hey, man, I'd love to see you eat a vegetable today. You know, like you're just trying to get them in, get some micronutrients in there and some phytonutrients in there. So it's often a surprise, I think, to a lot of people. You think the highest level of sport, oh, man, these guys are doing everything everyone's eating like tom brady right like really pushing limits i have, i love tom brady i'm a patriots fan but i have my own uh concerns about his eating style um <laughs> right but it's generally not the case like most of the guys aren't eating that way now i think there's a growing recognition and a growing trend where you're seeing in pro sports guys um, trending towards eating better or teams recognizing the value bringing in more nutrition coaches I and mean, it's one of the reasons why we been working with teams um so i think there's a growing recognition of it but even still it's we got to hammer those fundamentals first so that when we do more advanced strategies they actually matter right they're yeah. not going to matter if a guy's not even eating enough protein or not eating a yep. single vegetable right taking in a little bit of some uh, protein around his workout it's not going to matter if his overall intake is just totally in inadequate so advanced things only matter when that foundation is strong and in place and so we can usually build it faster in that population because they're being paid to do this thing. Um, so it's a little bit of a different scenario, but it's still, it's still often mastering the fundamentals. Yeah, and I play with more advanced stuff with more of them. Yes, so that is the biggest yeah, difference, right? With the general population, only a, you know, a relatively small percentage, we'll say 15%, really see benefit from playing with like more advanced practices, uh, maybe 20%. With the elite athletes, I mean, they'll all end up seeing advantages once they've mastered those fundamentals. Because at the highest level of sport, a 2% boost in performance matters, right? Like yeah. sitting at my desk, a 2% boost in performance, it's probably not even going to be noticeable, right? So right. There's, there's a, at that highest level, every little bit matters. So we will get into some more advanced stuff. But yeah, I mean, especially as it pertains to you know, human physiology and biochemistry. And if we're talking about long-term energy levels and we're talking about joint integrity and like, look, you got to, you know, you are what you eat and the quality of the nutrients. And like, you want your joints to last for another eight to nine years in the league. You know, I mean, what you're eating right now, it matters, man. It matters. Or after and your playing career, right? Like exactly. Yeah, totally. And I was, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to uh, work with some sports teams and man, I was blown away by the quality or lack thereof of the nutrition that some of these guys were putting in on a daily basis. And it just goes to show you, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of these guys are just phenomenal, genetically gifted athletes, first and foremost. 
but but then of course it comes down to like okay there and there's a good percentage of guys that are you know necessarily need to do everything they can to give themselves that two percent boost from a nutrition and a training standpoint but uh just you know just to give you a little and like you mentioned i mean you know across the board what i realize is most of the guys aren't eating enough protein throughout the day right they'll come in they'll have their practice in the morning they might have some pre or post workout nutrition oftentimes they're training fasted um, if they can grab breakfast at the practice practice facility, great. But then they'll leave practice. They'll go grab fast food and they'll go home and chill for the rest of the day. Play video in, games. Yeah. yeah, play video games and you know just hang out. Um, assuming they're younger guys, right? They're not cooking for themselves. And you know, I had a uh, just a quick story. So I was working with one of the guys on Golden State. Um, who shall not be named. And we were sitting down talking. And he's like, yeah, man, this was at the beginning of the season. And he's like, uh, you know, I cut out all the gluten. I cut out all the dairy. Um, I keep it really low carb because I know when I come in from off season, right, these guys all put on a lot of weight in the off season because they go home and have home cooking and eat their favorite foods and less structure and travel and all the stuff, right? So they fatten up a bit. And so it's like, yeah, you're kind of holding on to a decent amount of body fat. Why don't you walk me through what your, your daily nutrition's like? And this guy happened to have a private chef, so he was eating really quality food. But what he didn't realize was going on was he was having, you know, maybe three big Gatorades um, mm-hmm. between, you know, pre, during, post-practice. Then he would, um, he would get home and he would have uh, these – sparkling sugary sparkling water drinks like san pellegrino but flavored sugar you know basically like a soda he'd have eight or ten of those um throughout the day not to mention all the candy that he would consume (laughs) at night my wife's having a heart attack right now dude uh, so this guy was consuming over 400 grams of ancillary carbohydrates beyond what his chef was preparing and i was like okay this this is making sense to me now (laughs) you know you're just starting to pack on belly fat and i don't care if you're gluten-free or dairy-free or keto who cares when you're consuming that much extra calories um, you're going to pack on some body fat so it's a really good example of getting down to the fundamentals of this uh, of with you know whether they're professional athletes or whether they're everyday Jane and Joe really there's no difference if you can focus on these nutritional fundamentals it's going to make a huge difference and it's not sexy it's not a magic bullet but as you guys have have realized over hundred thousand coaching clients later like this stuff is working and it's working consistently and these are the fundamentals that you will come back to when you have a shitty day and when your two and a half year old is throwing a fit (laughs) and you know when the kids are homesick and you've got a work project and you can't wrap your head around you know this is the time when you're on like a ketogenic diet or you're on this whatever uh restrictive dieting pattern then you fall out of it it's become so much more difficult to fall back in because you don't have other fundamentals Mm-hmm. to turn to is what I've realized. I don't know. Yeah. You tell me. No, absolutely. And that's one of the things like, not only are we trying to teach people like nutrition fundamentals, we're trying to help them build those fundamental, like those foundational skills so that you can turn back to them. And the, the great thing about it, um, 
and I think the way we teach it, we try and teach it in what we call like a nutritionally agnostic way. So if you're following keto, or if you're following paleo, or if you're Mediterranean or plant-based, we can help you do all of those things better by teaching fundamental skills, right? So I gave those hand-sized portions. Those are a framework, but if you're eating keto, we can modify them to fit, right? So instead of yeah. six to eight of, of palms for men, maybe it's like three to four for you with virtually zero cupped handfuls of carbs, keep the veggies in there, and just right. replace the carbs with fats, right? So we can yeah. use those hand-sized portions and then adjust them. So those same fundamentals, how you're eating, why you're eating, how much, what, um, they don't change. Exactly how you express them or how you utilize them might change a little bit. And that's why we try to teach them as fundamental principles and as fundamental skills, because you're exactly right. You can, you can always fall back to them even when you're trying fancier things, right? Or you're, you want to, oh, this does sound really interesting. I'd like to give this a try. Cool, give it a try. But you always have those fundamentals to fall back on. Um, and so that's why we, we teach them like that's the opening things in the program so that you know, you've built those fundamental skills. But what do you often see, right? You see someone who goes on a 30-day challenge and they right. drop 20 pounds in those 30 days and they're feeling awesome. Then that challenge ends. And what do you usually see? And what? They put 25 back on. Um, yeah. Because they didn't, in that time period, man, everything was focused on following these specific rules for this short period of time, right? When, every, when everything was aligned, right? All the planets are in a row. Everything's mm -hmm. perfect. And I can just focus on this one thing for 30 days. But then once that focus is gone, like that's not your real life, right? So then, okay, how do you translate that to real life? You can only do that when you're, if you're actually building fundamental skills that you can consistently apply regardless of what scenario you're in, when things are perfect and when things are not. Now, how consistently or intently you apply them is going to change it. We teach like a dial concept. Sometimes things are going smoothly, right? You're two-year-olds with your in-laws, right? You've right. got the night. You can, you can crank up the dial because things are just easier to manage. Sometimes things are going nuts and you can crank down the dial, but it's not 10 or zero, right? You can be at an eight or a six. Maybe things are nuts and you can crank it down to a five, but you're still focusing on those fundamental skills because you've learned them all, right? And you can just adjust which ones you're emphasizing or how intensely you're emphasizing them. And I want to touch on a piece you also mentioned about consistency. Amazingly enough, like when we look at our research and you look at the scientific literature, even outside of our own internal research, consistency is like the one thing that fundamentally determines whether people succeed or not. So whether you're doing keto or paleo or Mediterranean, it doesn't really seem to matter in general, like across the population, so long as you can do it consistently over a period of time. That's the only thing that matters. So if you like eating plant-based and you can do it intelligently, like well thought out and consistently, then it can work for you. You know, if you like doing keto, but you can only do it for 30 days at a time and then it shit goes sideways, Yep. Not a good approach for you, right? So like what you can do consistently, like you often hear like, oh, knowledge is power or applied knowledge is power. In our, in our view, consistently applied knowledge is power, right? So what you can do 80, 80 to 90% of the time, that's an approach that you should adopt. Now that might change when life circumstances change. Hey, you, what you can do when you're 22 and you don't have kids versus what you can do when you're 30 and you have kids or you're 40 and your kids are all teenagers and learning to drive. I mean, things change, right? You're traveling yeah. a lot for work, like your circumstances change. But it's being able to recognize that what you can do consistently is what's gonna actually lead to results, not what you can do intermittently. Hey brother, are you struggling to find the energy to function at your best? 
As a businessman, father, and husband, I want you to know you're not alone. And sadly, the conventional wisdom these days around healthy eating and exercise that has saturated the mainstream is flat out wrong. If you want to find the solution to optimizing your energy and body composition without restrictive dieting, soul-crushing workouts, or adding more to your already stressful and overflowing schedule so that you can finally function like the man you know you can be, then we need to chat. Are you ready to move from exhausted to energized by working smarter, not harder? Go ahead and schedule your free strategy call at www dot bslnutrition.com forward slash level up. I'm looking forward to our conversation and enjoy the rest of the show. Something I often say is being pretty good all the time beats being great sometimes. Absolutely. Right. So like if you can just be pretty good, try and make better decisions at each thing. And you're going to have times when you're doing awesome and you're going to have times when shit's just off the rails in a good way or a bad way. Like maybe you're just on vacation. You're like, screw it. I'm just going to live it up. And that's right. awesome. I'm and choosing you to do that. Right. Right. And you own it and not feel bad or make, if yourself right. feel guilty about it, but that way you can come right back to it. How do you help people understand this concept of consistency, especially when we're so, a fast fix oriented, especially mm -hmm. when people want results and they want results yesterday, especially with the stuff that we see in social media. And someone else, someone just reached out to me the other day on social media, because oftentimes I post about this. There's no, you know, there's no one, right? I, I just, I'm so firmly in line with the PN principles um, and what you guys preach. But you know, with that said is there's people that are so frustrated with you know, the context of the information out there is, well, I'm told that I'm supposed to be going, you know, 30 days, nothing processed. I'm told I'm supposed to be going keto because that's what works for my neighbor. Or I'm told that I should be eating Mediterranean or paleo, or what about meat's going to give me heart disease? I should be going plant-based. And people are genuinely really frustrated um, with the state of the industry. You know, how do you deal with that? How do you help people understand where to go from there? Yeah, that's a really good question um, through multiple mechanisms in reality. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons why we teach in a habit-based model. So you only have to focus on one thing at a time because, you know, oftentimes people who have come to us for coaching have tried other things, right? And so we try to teach it like as we're doing it differently because differently what you did before didn't work. That's what, that's why you're here, right? And so we teach it through multiple mechanisms. One, we use the Socratic method. So... Mm -hmm. Like we have, um, you get bi-weekly habits to work on. And then every day you're kind of getting like reflective lessons to review. So like there are short five, 10 minute pieces that help reinforce why you're doing the habit, the value of it. And they often have um, thought questions at the end of them, like these reflective exercises. And they're purposely chosen to help get people to actively think, okay, why, well, why did I do things the way I did them before? Right? So we often teach people that nearly all human behavior is an attempt to solve a problem, whether it's to deal with pain, grief, stress, I mean, you name it. Um, when I learned this, it was like, like mind-blowing for my coaching practice, right? Why do people do things? Because it makes sense to them. It provides them something in some way. And so when you actually help clients recognize this, like, okay, why are you let's say, for example, having three glasses of wine at night, right? There's a reason why you're doing that. Let's unpack that a little bit because oftentimes we don't consciously think about it. 
but it's to help us cope with the stress of the day. It's help us to cope with X, Y, or Z. Why are we turning to these foods? And so yeah. we use that, that Socratic method to get people to think some of these things through. And we talk about the dial method. And really, there's a whole long-term approach to help like wean people off that all or nothing. Like, man, it's got to be 30 days or bust. And it's, it's, not, an, it's not like an all-out blitz, right? Changing your nutrition practices is about building fundamental skills. And you can only do that through like daily practice. It's not going to happen through this 30-month intensive approach that then once 30 months, the 30 uh, days are done, right. you haven't built underlying habits to help you continue on in your regular life. So, you know, we often have those conversations and talk about, well, we t teach things in, or talk about things in terms of experiments. Hey, what if we just try this for a week? and just see what happens, right? And so then people will report back, hey, I'm actually feeling better. Yeah, this is, this is feeling good. Um, and if it, if it doesn't, if it wasn't working, we find out why. Okay, let, let's ask some questions, right? Oh, it worked really well in these three days. What was different about those three days, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the way we approach it is we make the client an active part of the problem-solving process, right? As opposed to saying, hey, do this. It's okay, here are some things that we find consistently work for people. What, how would it work best in your life to accomplish this, right? To eat more protein. How might that work best for you? Mm -hmm. So we incorporate them in the, in the problem solving process. And I think that helps people start to recognize like what, what their actions were serving them before and how to change them slowly over time. It's not changing that all or nothing mindset. Isn't like a, uh, oh, we work on this one habit for two weeks. Uh, oh, I'm cured of this all or nothing mindset, right? It's an evolving coaching process that takes place over a long period of time of, of actually experiencing the value and seeing the success and not using that approach. And that takes time too. I think a lot of people are scared of digging into their own stuff. <laughs> I um, thought you were gonna use a different S word. But yeah. I, I was, but <laughs> I opted against it. And it, because it is scary. And mm -hmm. because like you said, we do things for reasons and we use food, you know, as problems, emotion right? to solve problems, as emotional support, because we need something. And so I'm glad that you mentioned because it's, it takes a lot of work to be able to get to the point where you can do this consistently for the long term, especially when it involves, um, you know, trying to, to create long-term weight loss. I mean, mm -hmm. you've gotten yourself to a point over a number of years doing what you've been doing and to, to start to change those habits is is absolutely huge to be able to understand why you're doing what you're doing and, and understand the emotional components and have the mindfulness to be able to do it. Um, so I, I, I'm so glad that you brought that up because it is possibly the most important component of really taking the time and the energy to dig into and unpack, you know, your existing habits and mm -hmm. say, what, why am I turning, you know, why is it when I get home from work, why is it that I feel the need to drink alcohol or eat the leftover cookies that are there or, you know, all, all of the things that we do. Sure. Um, We're humans, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I, you know, that, that in and of itself is, is super powerful and, and can be gone, you know, gone into in depth. But with that said, um, you know, a couple things that I think I, I'd love to get your feedback on. Do you utilize any specific strategies for uh, your clients or athletes when they're traveling? It seems mm -hmm. to be a, a frequent component that I get questions about. Yeah, it's actually a really good question, right? It's, it's something that a lot of our clients um, grapple with, obviously, 
pro athletes grapple with it. They travel all the time to road games. And, um, and it's something historically in my work, like I would travel 12, 15 times a year to do speak at seminars and conferences. So something I experienced myself as well. Um, so yeah, we, there are lots of, of like tips and tricks you can use, but one of the first ones actually goes back to not having that all or nothing mindset, right? Like, Hey man, circumstances aren't going to be perfect when you're traveling. There's going to be stuff that's outside of your control. So one of the first things we talk about is, I believe it's a Stephen Covey trick where it's like, you have your circle of concern and your circle of control, right? There's lots of things that you are concerned about. We don't have control over them, right? So like politics or the weather, um, right? There's all kinds of things that you you have concern over, but you don't have direct immediate control over. Just like food options are not always directly within your control. If you're at yeah. a, an airport and that's your only opportunity to eat, man, you find the best or, or maybe not even the best, the most reasonable option available to you in the time uh, right, and the space. So if I, don't have to, if I have to walk 45 minutes to a different terminal when my flight's in an hour to find the best meal, I'm not going to do that. Right. But if yeah. there's something that's like a B meal near me, so it's, it's doing the best you can in the circumstances presented to you. So when you're traveling, it's like, all right, I got 45 minutes before my flight starts boarding. What can I find that's going to help me feel good, keep me satisfied on my flight and not make me feel really like crummy later on because I had 3000 calories of grease, right? So it's okay. I can find someone's got some protein, some veggies, some carbs. Maybe I have a beer with it or whatever. I'm at the airport. No big deal. Um, what is it about all of a sudden when people go into the airport, it's like time doesn't matter for whatever reason. Right. It's, like, it's 11 a.m. Like and having a morning. Drink. Yeah, it's like eight in the morning. There's people at the bar having beer and wings. It's like, it's unbelievable. You would never do that in mm -hmm. the real world, you would never do that. Like just stepping outside of the airport. It's amazing. It's like Vegas or something. It's right. just like reality yeah, seeking to exist. I don't have an answer, but I have speculation, right? It goes back to that nearly all human behavior is an attempt to solve a problem, right? That's the stress of flying you're dealing yeah, with. Sure. Like there's so many people. So we'll make different choices based on those circumstances, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, this helps me. I get a brain reward from having these fries and from having alcohol. My brain's like, yeah, oh, that's nice, right? So it helps me like cope and feel better. Might not be the best solution, right? But it's a temporary solution. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's part of it, right? You see, why do people make poorer choices when they fly? One, there's, there's fewer good choices available. But two, it's also just dealing with and coping with the stresses of travel and flying. Like it's not. Yeah pleasant um, for the most part. But in my experience, um, airports have gotten a lot better in terms of having some decent 100%. food options and restaurants and like, because they've learned that's where they make money, actually, right? right? They make a lot of money on, on those things. So it's not just uh, your food court with fast food available everywhere anymore. So if you can find something reasonably solid, like you talked about with the consistently pretty good, doesn't have to be perfect, doesn't have to be an A meal, let's not have it be an F meal unless you're choosing to indulge, right? Find a B, sometimes even a C. It's better than a D or an F, right? So doing the best you can within the circumstances presented to you. And if and when possible, like seeing if you can pack some stuff to bring along when you know it's going to be a long flight or you're going to have a super quick layover and won't be able to, to grab anything, right? Oftentimes, I, I live in Maine, so I got to get connections to a lot of places, right? There's not a lot of direct mm -hmm. flights unless I'm going to a hub. So, you know, 
and I try to keep my flights short. So I'm, I have quick layovers oftentimes. I mean, I got 40 minutes, which really means by the time I get my roller bag off my little, you know, uh, regional jet that I was on, I, was, I only have 15 minutes. So I oftentimes have to pack something just to have a decent snack in between. Um, yeah. So that can be really helpful. Like bring in, even if it's like, a, you know, a protein bar is my ideal food. No. Can you get in, have a decent protein bar and a piece of fruit, right? So at least you got a, a decent snack that's going to hold you over to get to your location and you can have a good meal. Um, yeah. So it's kind of thinking ahead and knowing, all right, oh, I'm going to have three hours between my flights. Cool. I can go to a restaurant in the mm -hmm. airport. You can go to like your United Club, Delta Club, you know, whatever if you're a frequent flyer and you can find a solid meal. So it's, it's planning ahead when you're not going to have time and making the best choices in the circumstances presented to you. Now, once you're on the road, like if you go to a, you're in the hotel, you're at somewhere else, it's the same, it's the same kind of story, man. It's about being pretty good. Like oftentimes you're not having the ability to make your own food, but you can still find reasonable options, like those pretty good options. Hey, man, I got to order room service. Can I find something that's got relatively lean yeah. protein, some veggies, some quality carbs? You know, maybe I have a little bit of a, some indulgence in there too, but not the whole meal is an indulgence, right? Right. Um, so really what it comes down to, I think is, is recognizing it's okay not to be perfect, right? Aim for pretty good when you're traveling, only focus on what you can control, which is how and why you're eating and how much of it you're eating, the, what you can control to a degree, but lesser so, and then just aim for pretty good, man. And plan ahead yeah. when possible. You know, it comes down to mindset too. It's like, you got to set yourself up to make good decisions and you got to make it a priority. Mm -hmm. And and that means doing maybe a little bit of extra legwork and saying, hey, you know, let me just let me just think out and visualize that. And this is the same stuff that you guys, I'm sure, have people do on a daily basis is let me think about how am I laying out my day tomorrow mm -hmm. or the next day or for the week? Same ideas. I'm traveling tomorrow morning. So what's my breakfast going to look like? What's my lunch going to look like? I know I'm not going to get there until 5 p.m. I better eat something earlier or else when I get there, I'm going to be ravenous and I'm going to eat everything in sight because right. I've done it before. Um, so just having that mindset of, of forward thinking um, goes a long way. And like you said, there's so many great options at airports now. Then you can start to say, okay, well, I'm going to have a couple pounds of protein. So I'm going to have some meat and veggies. I'm sitting around all day. So I'm going to keep my carbon intake relatively low. Um, therefore, my calories a little bit lower, and that's when you can start to get into some mm -hmm. of the um, strategies and overall calorie cycling, cycling strategies and stuff like that. But um, good yeah, stuff. We often have, yeah, we often have them like reverse engineer the day, right? Okay, here's yeah. here's where you want to be. At the end of your day, you want you want to be have landed in your in your location. You're feeling good. You're well fed. You're not super stressed about the flight. Okay, well, how can we make that a reality? All right, let's start from where you want to end up. And then we'll backtrack it. Well, that means I'm going to have to have had a good snack here, right? And done something mm -hmm. there. Um, and it doesn't need to be like planned to the nines, right? Where I know exactly what I'm going to eat and where I'm going to eat it. But I've got a framework now. Okay, this can help just be like guideposts along my day. Um, yeah. So I know where I want to end up to a roughly. And then I can kind of flesh it out from there. But I've got some structure, some loose structure that I can play with. Because I thought through, okay, what, what do I want my end result to be? Now I think backwards on how I want to get there. Awesome. Yeah, that's really valuable stuff that I think a lot of people can um, roll with. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up here in a minute. I just have one more question for you, buddy. Um, yeah. Because I'd love your input on the impact of exercise on weight loss. You know, a lot of the people we work with, a lot of people, in sort of it's it's kind of conventional knowledge or perceived conventional knowledge that 
if I want to lose weight, I need to start exercising intensely. I should probably be doing HIIT workouts. I should probably get, you know, be doing strength training because we know the value of strength training three to four days a week and having that muscle mass because of metabolism. And I should probably be doing crushing workouts. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes what I see is people place a lot of emphasis on their training, um, but maybe not so much emphasis on their nutrition which obviously I'm alluding to is, uh, is uh, incorrect. Um, but what have you observed from, uh, um, you know, what is the data support? What have you ex- observed with all of your coaching clients over the years with respect to the importance of exercise and weight loss relative to nutrition? Oh, absolutely. So what you see, what, what the research generally supports is if you, just, if you just focus on exercise and don't focus on nutrition, um, you actually make very little change in your body weight. And so you'll see health markers improve. Don't get me wrong. There's tons of value to exercise, regardless of if it actually changes your body weight or not, right? We know it has benefits for the brain, for joints. I mean, for you name it, it's, it's one of the greatest things we can do for our long-term health and, and well-being. But in terms of like weight management, mm-hmm. um, it's actually much more effective when it comes to weight loss, it's much more effective when combined with nutrition and other lifestyle modifications like um, sleep and stress. Then you can recover better from your workouts. You'll actually get a better adaptive response from your workouts in terms of like your hormonal profile and things of that nature. So by itself, it is not a great weight loss tool. Um, when combined with improved nutrition, fantastic. So you look at the research, they look at exercise alone, exercise plus nutrition or nutrition alone, Exercise alone is the worst at improving body composition or body weight, body weight generally. Uh, nutrition is significant, alone is significantly better um, yep. in terms of improving body weight to reaching body weight goals. Nutrition plus exercise is the best combination. So doing, and, and the exact combination is actually less, or the exact type of workout is actually less important than I think we want to all believe, right? So there, there are some really interesting data that's shown like, oh, if people do, there was a study I remember reading a few years ago where they had people do like four times a week of resistance training. Uh, There was three arms, four times a week of like cardiovascular work. And then one arm was two times a week of resistance training, one times a week of cardiovascular and yoga one time a week. And then, so the question, the hypothesis was like the cardiovascular training group would lose the most weight and the resistance training would gain the most strength because they measured different variables. Interestingly, you know what they found? That middle group who did a little bit of everything lost the most amount of body fat, gained the most amount of strength, and had the highest level of consistency to their workouts. Um, so it was really interesting. Like they thought, okay, even the people who stuck with the muscle gain and the cardiovascular work, well, they would see the biggest bang for their buck in those particular domains. And they didn't actually find that. People who had that mixed approach, um, you know, there's value in doing intense work. But if you have a super intense job and you're working 60 hours a week, like adding more high stress training on top of that actually might maybe not do more harm than good, but be less beneficial than getting in like a moderate intensity cardiovascular session that can actually like help you recover as opposed to being something to recover from. Right. So I think it's important to keep in mind that like high intensity interval training is something that you recover from when you're doing something like yoga, 
or some lower intensity cardiovascular work, that's something that helps you recover. Those are two very different things, right? And so I think that can be, that's important to keep in mind when you already have a high stress job or you live in, you work in a high stress environment and you already have a lot of life stressors. You're now just adding another stressor on top. Exactly. So, you know, I think it's important to keep in mind that like the exact type of activity, well, it matters. I mean, ideally people should do some kind of, resistance training, whether it's with weights or body weight, um, and some type of cardiovascular work doesn't have to be, you know, jogging. It could be any type of anything that's getting your heart rate up consistently for a period of time and some type of recovery work, whatever types you enjoy, right? You like going for nature walks. Cool. You like doing yoga. Awesome. Right? Like the exact method you use, unless you're an elite athlete, is not nearly as important as getting some of hitting off some of those boxes and getting in some of those things. And so oftentimes in my experience, um, we see like highly successful, like executives or people who are, you know, that classic, like type a, they're driven, they're really successful in other areas of life, man, they want to come in here and they want to like hit every workout and crush it. And like all that ends up doing is crushing you as opposed to you crushing your workout. Right. So, you got to be able to recover from that training. And there's, there's actually surprising benefits to having some sessions that are lower intensity, right? So getting that mixture of things we find helps people one, do it more consistently because they're not getting crushed and then just feeling like laying on the floor for a week. Um, so they can come back, they feel better and it gives them mental benefits, right? The decreased stress, improved recovery, the brain benefits. Um, and, and it still leads to positive body weight and body composition changes when combined with, a well thought out nutrition approach, some sleep work and some other stress work. Yep. That's it, man. That's so well put. It's, it's what can you commit to consistently already factoring in that nutrition is going to play one of the biggest roles, assuming Mm -hmm. weight loss or fat loss is your goal. Um, And understanding that you don't have to kill yourself every single session. There's a time and a place for intense workouts, but especially if your your bucket is already overflowing, so to speak, with mm-hmm. work stress and financial stress and kids and, you know, all of the other things that we have the pleasure of dealing with in our modern day <laughs> society. And hey, man, you know, going and killing yourself with another workout maybe isn't the best solution. And maybe you just need to take a nap. or Maybe you need to go grocery shopping. Or maybe you just need to go home, chill out and, and actually cook a meal or spend some time with the family. So, mm-hmm. Brian, Awesome. Really, really valuable information. I really appreciate it. Hey, um, buddy, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say the best place would be uh, precisionnutrition.com. I do a lot of um, uh, a lot of writing for the site. I do a lot of other work for, for PN. So, I mean, I have my own website too, but to be frank, I haven't updated it in probably over a year. Um, so you can always look back at com and find historical stuff that I've done. But for the most like, up-to-date things, um, precisionnutrition.com. We've got you know, a free blog loaded with content and infographics. You can learn about our coaching services, our certification services. If you're interested in any of those things, I mean, we kind of cover the gamut in the fitness and nutrition realm. So that'd be the best place to find out more. Cool, buddy. Well, listen, man, I really appreciate your time uh, coming on the show. And, and again, for just being so knowledgeable and everything that you're doing with precision nutrition, with, with the sports world, and just putting out, you know, really realistic quality uh, things that are helping people create long-term change. I'm just so appreciative of that. And I know all of our listeners are as well. Um, with that said, hey, man, have a uh, great rest of your day. And uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, buddy. Take care. 
Did you love this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show? Then head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a positive rating and review. And more importantly, share this with other men that you know are dedicated to leveling up in every area of their life by learning how to live healthier, more energetic, and productive lives so that they can optimize their health for their family and future. Thank you for listening. And if you want to find out more about how you can work directly with Ben, then just head on over to www.bslnutrition.com forward slash level up.